listener. Welcome to the showroom, fueled up, powered up, charged by car sales and hitting the audio road to your ears, courtesy of the good team here at Listener. Greg Rust and Scott Newman with you for this episode. Scott's the road test editor for car sales who has an alter ego, also known on social media as addicted to sliding. Sounds obvious. Come on, what's the backstory? Welcome. G'day, Rusty. G'day, listeners. Well, Anyone who's driven a car in an enthusiastic or exuberant fashion will know that it's a feeling that just gets under your skin and it's certainly gotten under my skin. You feel sad, you get FOMO when you're not doing it. So (laughs) it was a pretty obvious choice for a handle. And uh, it's basically a place for all my work adventures, cars I've driven, cars I'd like to drive, thoughts on cars that have come out recently. So yeah, if you want to see what I get up to on a day-to-day basis, head over there and check it out. Clearly channelling that inner love of rally and drift. Bring more of it, my friend, to the podcast. And your word for the day is exuberance. We want that filtering right through the podcast, so much so you're actually driving a proper stick shift at the moment. Little Spy tells me you're in a real manual. How good? Three pedals are a bit of a rarity these days, but I'm actually in a Mazda 3 SP25 uh, manual. Mazda still offers a manual across most of its three range. I'm not sure how many buyers it's going to find, but... It does keep you a lot more focused on the road. You've always got something to do. You're always entertained. So it makes you a safer driver. Beautiful. Stand by for that. He's already taken the reins, taken the wheel. He's away. If you are new to the car sales podcast range, it is just like walking into a dealership. We have something for everyone. There's an EV pod if you enjoy that side of things. It's called What's Under the Bonnet. There's a brand new shiny sports car, more or less. It's called Along for the Ride, hosted by our colleague Anthony Matafari, where he literally goes for a ride with all sorts of celebrities in their cars. That's brand new. It's really cool. And this one is more or less like the SUV. It covers all kinds of terrain, and we call it the showroom. What's new, some views, stuff in the classifieds that's caught our eye, and the launch of something really cool each month too. Now, coming up in this episode, the relatively new boss from Nissan Australia, and this is timely, Scott, with a raft of new models coming out for Nissan. Nissan were very proud to shout that... uh that have the newest lineup in Australia, having come from the oldest lineup in Australia. They've just launched the Z as the first part of that, but this is time for the meat and potatoes of their range, the really important stuff. Then in the next couple of weeks, they're going to launch the Qashqai, the X-Trail and the Pathfinder SUVs, kind of small, medium and large. So these are really heartland segments for Australian buyers. It's probably make or break for Nissan's fortunes. So it'll be very interesting to get uh, the MD's take on these very important new models. Adam Patterson is standing by and we'll be chatting with him very shortly. Our mad mate, Fian Tor, was on the panel for the last ep and he jetted away. He's overseas once again for a launch that's kind of left him wondering if a popular power plant may be dead or dying. The V8, it looks like the writing's on the wall for the much-loved configuration. The C63, which Fian is over there driving, has swapped eight cylinders for four. So we're not quite sure how we feel about that, Rusty, but it'll be interesting to get Fian's take on the ground. Plus, Supercars team owner Ryan Walkinshaw from the final round of the series, but we're not getting him on to talk about racing. We're going to get him on with his automotive industry cap. You did a story with him in recent days about the luxury car tax. Yeah, I spoke to Ryan at length 
about luxury car tax and with his manufacturing hat on, obviously a CEO of Walkinshaw Group. And it's interesting that he's really finding that luxury car tax is proving a barrier to the company's growth, which is interesting that it's now hurting the industry that it was designed to protect. So we'll get his thoughts later on in the show about uh, how that's happening and what can potentially be done to fix it. We've had a cult car in the marketplace. We've had a very cool Lamborghini Countach, a cool old Merc and much more. Today, the boss, Mike Sinclair's put his foot down and said, we want you to chat with someone about this three-wheel Morgan. Got some good history, this car as well. I kind of feel like pulling on the goggles and the scarf. Tally-ho, here we go. And by popular demand, not really, <laughs> it's a segment we like to call unpopular opinion. Scott, you've got to take aim, fire, fire up. Are we going to see you get wound up today? Oh, definitely. Today we're going to talk <laughs> about driving standards in Australia. For better or worse... Stay tuned. All right. We'd love you, our listeners, to be a part of the show too. If you've got a view on something, fire it in. Be a part. Email us, podcast at carsales.com.au. Scott, we like to kick off each episode with a major launch, as you know, but in truth, our guest today is overseeing the Aussie release of several new models as a part of his relatively recent role with Nissan Australia and New Zealand as their managing director, and he's spent the better part of a decade in senior roles for the company and its luxury infinity arm as well. It's really good to get him on the show. Adam Patterson, welcome to the showroom. Good morning. Thanks very much for having me. The glass half full side of me says, you know, awesome to get the top job in the past 17 months, but at the same time, hell of a time to come on board, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, never a dull moment in the car business, but uh, definitely the last 18 months have been challenging, put it that way. But uh, I think we can see light definitely at the end of the tunnel with new cars arriving. But, you know, challenges as far as supply and, and all of the other um, fun things that are going on in the industry are, are not fully behind us. Uh, but as I said, probably light at the end of the tunnel for sure. Can we just, for both Scott's benefit, my benefit, and, and the audience here on the podcast, let's just break down what are the three new Nissan SUVs that people can look forward to here in the in the Aussie market, this part of the world? Well, there are three new uh, SUVs on sale that began to arrive uh, middle of November for us, so that being uh, Qashqai, X-Trail, and, uh, and the all-new Pathfinder. So they started hitting dealer showrooms probably mid-November, depending on where you are across the country, and, uh, and are on sale now. Now it's time for the sales pitch. Why should we buy the X-Trail Qashqai Pathfinder over some of the competitors? What are their USPs? The Nissan showroom today looks extremely different than it did uh, just a few short months ago. Maybe I'll start with X-Trail. So uh, X-Trail competes in the midsize SUV segment, which is the largest SUV segment as far as size is concerned in the market, and probably the most important, only the second largest segment in the, in the country behind Ute uh, or behind Pickup. Xtrail is extremely important to, uh, to Nissan in Australia. Uh, we're actually the third largest market for Nissan globally, ahead of, believe it or not, many of the European countries. So it's only Japan, North America, and China that outsell us uh, with Xtrail or, or Rogue, as it's called in other markets globally. So an extremely important product for us. Revised from the ground up, all new platform, all new safety tech, and we really think it fits in many Australian family uh, driveways. And we do have a electrified powertrain joining um, the 2.5-liter four-cylinder motor very, very shortly as well. So that'll be the e-power powertrain for us, which will be brand new, uh, great fuel economy, as well as fantastic performance. That'll hit showrooms uh, in a little over a month or so. I'm so excited to have that in the, in the showroom. 
Qashqai, I'd say next. Qashqai fits a, a great need for us in the small SUV segment. It's the third largest segment in the, in the Australian market. It's redesigned from the ground up as well, has been on sale in Europe for uh, about six or seven months now uh, and has been a runaway success up there. Uh, over 70,000 customers waiting for a new one in Europe. Um, so we're very, very happy to, uh, to have the car arrive down here. Uh, and it's gone on sale, as I said, about 15 days ago. And, and Pathfinder is really a, a fantastic return for us. We one of the only right-hand drive markets uh, in the world uh, for the product. So uh, it's a, been a big investment for Nissan to make sure that we have that uh, that car available for us because we are, or it is so important down here. We think the Pathfinder really returns to its rugged roots and going back to a, a step speed uh, transmission, a nine-speed automatic in it uh, versus the CVT that we had before. We really think uh, it fits a need for, for the consumer that wants a unibody for those better driving characteristics it has, but still has the off-road credibility. You know, it'll tow 2,700 kilos. Most people listening to Adam would be interested in price point. And, and obviously for um, SUVs generally, the, um, the price point has, has increased in this segment. Just, just explain a bit of that and why, why that is. The new products that we've brought to market come with a whole bunch of new standard safety tech and features that, that didn't exist in the previous generation of products. So, I mean, that is being adjusted for and priced for as well. Um, but, you know, there's also the, the challenges that we face, just like many industries, as far as uh, the cost of raw materials. Um, they are going up, uh, as, as everyone's uh, probably well aware of, as, as well as transport. I did mention that all these vehicles are produced uh, offshore, um, some coming from uh, all the way from Europe. Uh, and it's, uh, it's more expensive today to get these cars to market than it was uh, two or three years ago. So uh, those things have had to be, uh, I think, priced in to the cost of, uh, of our new vehicles. But we think they're, they're definitely coming with increased content versus what customers were able to, uh, to have previously. Let's quickly talk about another SUV product that you announced recently, which is sort of made in Australia. Um, you announced that you've lit the Prem car warrior patrol program off the back of the navara warrior so maybe just have a quick word to uh, people looking for a particularly rugged large suv what they might be able to expect from that program and a quick chat about your partnership with you know the local engineering firm premcar so we, we launched the Navara Warrior uh, on top of the Pro 4X top of the grade or top of the range trim uh, a little over a year ago. Uh, we went on sale in uh, July or August of, of last year. Uh, and the car's done, or the truck, I should say, has done very, very well. Um, obviously, it makes sense to work with Femcar uh, to develop a Warrior version of the Patrol as well. So we announced it uh, perhaps about two months ago uh, that we'd be going into production. We're still working on exactly what the upgrades will be versus the base Patrol uh, that, that will be the you know, the donor vehicle. But again, we're going to be uh, locally converted or assembled um, with the Prem Car team in, uh, in Victoria. And we expect to be on sale uh, second half of next calendar year. How much for the company is riding on this in, in some respects, Adam, in, in terms of getting that result with the, the market here in Australia and, and for Nissan generally? Uh, yeah, it, it's definitely been challenging. You know, we, we had uh, you know over two thousand cash guys built, ready to go, um, uh, sitting at our uh, at our wharf in the UK, and then just based on on general supply challenges, you know the vessels uh, moving from the UK to to Australia had been limited. Um, so it's taken us far longer to find just boat space to get these on the way here. So when the first uh, load of cash guys arrived in Melbourne as a result of sitting on the wharf for uh, you know forty five days or so. Unfortunately, there were some seed contamination on them. So some pollen uh, that had blown on them at the wharf in, uh, in the UK had, had delayed their release upon arrival in Melbourne. So that's taken us another 30 or 45 days. So as you say, it seems like one challenge uh, after another, but we're working through them and we appreciate the patience of customers um, because we know that uh, 
and people want their new vehicle in their driveway uh, today or tomorrow. What's very interesting about the Australian market being a right-hand drive market, but but having a having a desire for products that are bigger than perhaps other right-hand drive markets globally, right? So big right-hand drive markets globally being uh, UK and Japan, and we have a very specific or unique vehicle taste down here that is is one that's not satisfied by their market. So uh, it, it takes a little bit of a different uh, work within the company and when when looking at the market to to confirm investments for us on products that can't be sold in the UK or can't be sold in Japan because. Uh, SUVs, or sorry, larger SUVs and, and trucks are something that are, are really important to the Australian market and, and perhaps not in other right-hand drive markets. So that's uh, that's been something that I've uh, been adjusting to once uh, once I've been in role. It's been awesome to get you on the showroom today. Uh, thank you very much. We wish you the very best with the, the rollout of these new models and uh, good luck with the Aussie slang. <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> and you can read all about the new releases from Nissan as they roll out by going to car sales to our website where you'll find video reviews and much, much more. Find your next car at carsales.com.au. Time for a regular segment, which doesn't often win friends or influence people. Maybe it will. Uh, Stuff happening on our roads or in the automotive world that has made us think, made us question the norm, to hell with the norm or the status quo. This is Unpopular Opinions. Righto, Scott? Time for your unpopular opinion. Australian driving standards are terrible. (laughs) Way to go winning over the listeners. But I actually don't think a lot of people are going to disagree with you here. You said to me before we came on air today that the standards are crap, right? We're, we're pretty in agreement with that, but no one actually is focused on or thinks it's an issue, do they? Yeah, you're right, Rusty. So road trauma costs about $30 billion a year. So that's basically a war chest we could use to improve driver training and actually, you know, save people's lives. So the government will point to road tolls decreasing beautifully. Like in 1970, it was 3,800 people. Last year, it was 1,123. Look at all those lives that are being saved. What's interesting is that hospitalizations and serious hospitalizations are actually increasing. You hear this from, you know, government agencies and stuff like that. Oh, we've tried it's BS. You know, training people, but they, you know, they, they get over. In what other avenue or occupation is more experience and more training Frowned upon. deemed a detriment? Exactly. Rusty, I feel a lot better now having gotten that off my chest. So <laughs> it's your turn. What's your unpopular opinion for, for this episode? Van designers need to remember that normal is boring. Make Ooh. them cool again. I want something that evokes memories of your childhood, like the A-Team GMC. What about the fact, remember that Aspas with the V10 F1 engine? Absolutely. Combi was iconic. It still is, mate. So um, even the old Aussie panel vans, we don't have that shape anymore. I mean, they were legendary, probably for things that went on in the back of them more than what they were being used for. But what I'm meaning is why can't we have something that people that have to use these vehicles, look at them and go, hey, that's cool. I'm happy to be driving that to work every day or around with my family or something. What happens What happens in the design departments when it comes to vans? It's all too easy to make a box, isn't it? It is. Ford's been pretty good on this. I mean, they've made their super vans, which are probably not particularly helpful at Bunnings with a F1 engine in the back. But <laughs> you're right. They should have, They need to have a little bit of verve. Do you remember that M Sport, I think, made a, made a transit that had like Colin McRae's Focused WRC running gear in it. I mean, that's what, you know, you want something turbocharged, all-wheel drive, but, yeah, just because it's lugging the furniture around doesn't mean you can't have a bit of fun and a bit of excitement in your life as well. 100%. They are obsessed with 
cargo space and practicalities at manufacturer level, can we please, please, please just inject some eye-catching features? Give the cameraman on the road, the tradies, the courier, give them a set of wheels that they are proud to drive around town, not just one that's the most useful. And I'd like to review it. If you've got something that goes against the grain, an unpopular opinion, perhaps we would love to discuss it. Podcast at carsales.com.au. On to our showroom hot topic. This month, we want to explore the future of a beloved engine configuration or power plant in a period of rapid or significant change. This could almost apply really to our previous segment, Unpopular Opinions, but In order to properly dive into this subject, we need to bring in another member of our team. Now, he did one ep with us and then he basically bolted to the other side of the world for another unveiling, another special car. He's brushed Scott and I for the gig. Fee and Tor, where the bloody hell are you? I am in the south of Spain. I'm at a very, very exciting racetrack called Ascari and uh, the sun is shining it's uh, it's absolutely gorgeous and it's bizarre because it's December. It should be cold here. <laughs> Fafine, you're on a plane again. What exotic piece of machinery are you driving this time? Yes, I've been on the plane again, 30 hours to get here, three flights. It's a long haul, but it's exciting because I'm here to test the all-new Mercedes-AMG C63SE. And the E means it's electrified. Are you really about to tell us that the V8 is dead and that you're happy about it? Yes, it's true. It's very sad, but it's true. The V8 is dead. And it's been replaced with a four-cylinder hybrid powertrain. So it's got an electric motor. And you know what? I'm not going to say I'm happy about it, but having driven it, I can say it is a savage machine. It is incredibly powerful. Might be able to hear a few of them going past behind us rather quietly at the moment warm-up laps, but yes, I think when people get behind the wheel and feel the scintillating acceleration, um, yeah, they're going to be impressed. And I think if you put this up against the previous generation V8, it will obliterate it in a straight line. Surely there's no such thing as a four-cylinder muscle car. Well, in the past, there never has been a four-cylinder muscle car, but this This car has a drift mode. It can put 100% torque to the rear axle. It's an absolute weapon. I was hoping it would exceed expectation and it genuinely has. This is is a big moment in uh, sports sedans history. Now, mate, we're not just going to take your word for it. You are actually joined there, I can see now, by a special guest, aren't you? I'm joined by Damien Hampen, who is the project lead on C-Class for AMG. And uh, Damien, first question... What happened to the V8? Um, it disappeared. It was replaced by, uh, by a very strong four-cylinder engine, uh, the strongest four-cylinder engine ever uh, to be introduced uh, to a serious car and combined with our P3 um, plug-in hybrid system. And tell us a little bit about this hybrid. It's, it's not a standard hybrid, is it? It can put a lot of power just to the rear axle. That is true, it has a lot of power or it can add a lot of power. Um, it is called a P3 um, hybrid layout, which means that we have the combustion engine in the front and then all the electric components in the rear. It uh, doesn't only boost uh, the rear axle though. Um, since we have uh, the new all-wheel drive system, the Formatic Plus, it can also transfer the power to the front. 
it's all very exciting and it's uh, it's great to be here at the launch. For you, what is what is the most special thing about this car? Obviously, everybody wants to know about the four-cylinder engine, the V8's gone, but for you, is, is it more than just this special engine? Yes, I mean, it's like all in all, it's, uh, it's a high-tech car. That's what we like to say. Um, you have the hybrid system, you have the engine, you have the electric exhaust gas turbocharger, you have the Formatic Plus system, you have rear-wheel steering, um, you have a very smart uh, dampening system, which is actually the same technology that we used in the GT Black Series. So all in all, it's, it's a lot of technology. There's some nice links with Formula One in this car as well. Tell us about the boost feature. The boost feature is designed for, for track use of the car. So usually, as in Formula One, uh, as you mentioned, um, you have different strategies. So one for, for a hot lap or then for the endurance uh, or for endurance races. So what the boost mode does, it limits the electric power first um, and gives you the chance to actually use it when it's optimal for hot lap times or for fast laps. And has Lewis Hamilton driven this car? He has, yeah. <laughs> what does he think? I haven't spoken to him, but <laughs> but the feedback we got was uh, was very good. Australia is a really important market for uh, for AMG. What can Aussies expect when this car arrives in uh, around mid twenty twenty three? They can expect a, a very powerful car that is uh, that is a lot of fun to drive and very responsive, actually. All right, enough chit chat. I need to go drive the car. Thank you for your time, Damien. You're welcome. Have fun. Gets all the best gigs, doesn't he? Off to drive the car. Scott, I think it's important just to spend a a little moment as we wrap up this segment here. I'm kind of torn because the tech, the car, sounds amazing, but there is a lot of love for the V8 still uh, in certain parts of the Aussie motoring community, isn't there? Absolutely. I mean, I'm in a couple of uh, online groups with uh, C63 owners and there is a lot of mourning about (laughs) the fact that The V8 is dying. They all love their V8s. But I think it'll appeal to a different buyer, especially once they feel that 680 horsepower. And personally, I mean, if you've driven an A45, that's an amazing car. And the thought of that car with another, you know, 200, 250 horsepower of e-boost, it should be quite a ride, that's for sure. Now, Fian's story was actually embargoed until today, the day we released the podcast. We've held off doing it especially to ensure we could include it in the show. To see more about it, to read his review, to see some video content, just go to carsales.com.au. And that reminds me to let you all know that with Christmas fast approaching, that doesn't mean we're taking a break for the car sales range of podcasts that we produce here at Listener. So make sure you subscribe to The Showroom, What's Under the Bonnet and the brand new one with our great mate, Anthony Matafari, which is called Along for the Ride, where he takes celebrities, jumps in the car with them and hits them with all kinds of very cool questions. You'll enjoy that. That's terrific. So we're going to continue to roll them out over the break. Perfect for a holiday road trip or a flight to somewhere in the sun while you're enjoying some much needed R&R or if you're even working while everyone else is taking some time off, we're going to give you special permission to put our pods on in the office. And if there's something from our convo that catches your attention, the place to go to find out more, of course, carsales.com.au. News time for this edition of the showroom. You could argue with just about everything we've had so far on the show, there's plenty of news we've already covered. Let's, Scott, dive into a few other things. I love this. I love the look of it. BMW has reinvented one of its icons, 3-litre, 412-kilowatt M4, and all part of the M's 
division, if you like, 50th anniversary. Yeah, absolutely. BMW has given itself and 50 of its customers a birthday present. They've reinvented the three-litre CSL, otherwise known as the Batmobile, the 70s touring car racer that dominated German touring car racing. They've essentially restyled an M4, given it the most powerful six-cylinder engine ever with 412 kilowatts. 50 are going to be built manual only, but I'm not a huge fan of it. Oh, why? Well, it feels a bit marketing to me over engineering. For instance, it's got a CSL badge on it. The thing weighs 1,625 kilograms. Okay. It feels a little bit to me like, you know, the, the, the Batmobile's famous because it was a touring car icon. It, it delivered on the track and, you know, then sold on Monday and it had spoilers in the boot and stuff like this. Mm. I just feel like, I don't know, it came out of the marketing department rather than the M engineering department, that's all. Fast forward 50 years, uh, limited edition, very few yeah, available absolutely. to celebrate. It might, it might still be something that's a very valuable piece. Let's go the other end of the spectrum here, my friend. The EV ute is here. Uh, we give a shameless plug to What's Under the Bonnet as well, our electric vehicle podcast, where we have covered the whole idea of uh, four-wheel drives and um, towing and vehicles in you know in this world. But we want to cover it here on the showroom too because it's happening. It's absolutely happening and happening maybe earlier than people anticipated. Uh, LDV has become first to market with uh, the ET60, an electric version of its T60 ute. The sticker price takes a bit of a second glance, though, doesn't it? $93,000 plus on road, which is about double what it charges for a regular T60. And it's, you know, it's seven grand more than you could pay for a Ranger Raptor. So I'm not sure, too sure about this. At least it's happening. It's a start. Another option is a local Aussie company called Rove. Uh, they do conversions for Hilux and Ranger, which cost about 50 to 60 grand, depending on battery size and stuff like that. And they're only selling to fleets at the moment, but I think they might get a lot of take-up with, you know, these established utes, the Ford and the the Toyota, with mining companies and stuff like that um, that want to go zero emissions. So, And it's good to see, you know, proper Aussie engineering ingenuity. We've actually covered the Rove story on What's Under the Bonnet. So when you finish listening to this podcast, dive back into the library, search for What's Under the Bonnet and enjoy that. Uh, for all the news and information in relation to everything you've been listening to here on the showroom, editorial and a whole lot more, carsales.com.au is the place you go. And you've actually tackled uh, a contentious, uh, a subject that often comes up, Scott, in luxury car tax in, uh, in recent time with Ryan Walkinshaw. Luxury car tax is, like you say, a common topic, but it's usually in the context of premium manufacturers wanting to eradicate it so they can sell more cars at a more favourable price. That makes sense. They're trying to run a business. But speaking to Ryan recently, he went into some detail about how it's actually hurting his business from an expansion point of view by potentially killing some programs that would otherwise get up due to the tariffs involved. So it's very exciting that he's able to join us today to go into more detail on this. Ryan's actually in Adelaide ahead of the season-ending round for supercars there. He's a part of the ownership group for Walkinshaw and Dreddy United, and he's been good enough to talk to us about this. He's on the line. G'day, mate. Hey, mate. How's it going? Fantastic. Hey, quickly before Scott and I launch into this, a bit of background on the Walkinshaw group for people that, that may not know. Obviously, um, the the regrowth, if you will, following the demise of Holden and um, HSV and things like that. You guys are doing some good things in the market still, aren't you? 
Yeah, we're still uh, still plugging away. Yeah, group has seen some, some decent growth over the last few years. We went from predominantly focused on uh, on Holden Special Vehicles, which is the performance arm of, of GM Holden in Australia for uh, the best part of 30 years. And um, obviously when uh, local manufacturing closed down, you know, our business model was, was pretty much thrown in the air because we couldn't get any more of these you know, Holden Commodores out of uh, out of the plants in, in Adelaide. Um, so we had to pivot, you know, to pivot pretty quickly because we only had about four or five months before uh, before the, that production was finished. So fortunately, we had a relationship with Atika and, and, and Ram Trucks. We started doing left to right-hand drive conversions, pretty low volume back then. I think we were doing 800 to 1,000 a year. So it was a, it was a pretty small part of our business compared to HSV, which was more like, you know, 2,500 to 3,000 units a year. But, um, you know, that market's really, really exploded thanks to us and, and the other brands that we brought into to Australia to, uh, to go alongside uh, Atika and Ram. You know, so now we've got GMSV, We've got a relationship with VW doing performance uh, performance products for them as well, and now we just uh, announced a, a partnership with Toyota as well. So um, you know, really, really great growth from our partner network. Um, they've all customers of ours. So previously, our business model was also very different to what we're doing now. Previously, our business model was we used to capitalize the program, we used to invest our own money, and we used to build, uh, design the products, engineer them, manufacture them, uh, do all the sales and marketing, all the after sales, everything else like that. Run our own dealer network. Now we don't do. Any of that. Now uh, we have customers who uh, contract with us um, and you know, they invest in their programs. We do design and engineering for them and we do the manufacturing as well. So it's a contract manufacturing based business. So that's allowed us to grow a fair bit. Um, you know, we've gone, as I said, from doing about 3,000 units to about 12,000 units plus this year. And uh, we've gone from about 250 employees to this year we hit uh, 1,500 employees. So uh, pretty exciting for an industry that a few years ago everyone thought didn't even exist anymore. The headline of Scott's article is that the luxury car tax is costing jobs. Just explain your your opinion on that and why. Well, a bit of background on that tax. So that tax was introduced quite a long time ago and it was um, had a few different purposes. But one of the purposes was that it was a price point sensitive tax, at which point it would trigger a luxury car tax, which ends up being about 30% of any vehicle, I believe over 75 or 80,000 AUD. The reason for that number was that was because that was the highest price point of uh, any Holden, Toyota or Ford sold in Australia. Um, so it was meant to be a, 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 an incentive for people to buy Australian manufactured products and a disincentive for them buying uh, internationally imported products. Um, however, the problem is, is that that tax still remains. I mean, Holden hasn't built a car for five years and they haven't existed for two. So it seems a little bit bizarre that that tax, which was supposed to be protecting Australian manufacturing, still exists anyway. However, what it's actually doing is it's now hindering our growth and it's obstructing our ability to, uh, to, to bring new programs into Australia in the segments that are hit by LCT. We predominantly operate in the commercial vehicle space that doesn't uh, have LCT applied to those vehicles. But uh, you know, every, every few months, we're, we're, we're exploring the potential to do either performance products or to do left to right hand drive conversion programs on uh, on vehicles with our current partners and other partners we, we haven't got official partnerships yet in the SUV and passenger vehicle space. Now those products, as soon as we do our work on them, you can pretty much guarantee it's going to add 10, 15, 20K worth of additional cost to the product. And uh, generally, if you've got an SUV, which is 70,000 AUD, we end up putting 15K onto that. It goes over that 80K threshold, all of a sudden 30% of additional price ends up being attributed to that product because it hits the luxury car tax, which then makes that program you know, unviable. People can, can deal with adding a certain amount of additional cost onto a vehicle as long as there's value there, they perceive value there in the product that they're getting, but there's no additional value for an additional 30% of their uh, price on their vehicle just going to tax. It's just 
you know, money that's just washed away for them. So what that means is that these programs generally, you know, they go in the bin. It's very, very hard to get them up and running. Uh, to give you an idea, uh, we've had four programs in the SUV space that we've explored with OEMs this year. Each one of those programs would be one to 2,000 units. So let's say that the top end of that um, you know, would have been 8,000 units. Uh, that's generally between 100 to 150 jobs per program. You know, it's a lot of jobs that could have been in play for 18 months' time, and these programs would have, uh, would have come to fruition, which have been uh, dissolved because of the, the lack of the economical sense in doing them because of LCT being applied, which is a real shame. And it's not just the additional workforce that would be, uh, that would be increased for War Control Group. It's also the additional labor that would be increased in our suppliers, our dealer networks, uh, that from our customers. Our customers as well, they've got to grow their internal staff to be able to manage these programs as well. All the additional taxes on those cars being sold, all the VAT, all the profit taxes from all the businesses involved, not just mine, but all of our suppliers. So a very, very small tax applied to a small number of vehicles. Um, actually, if it wasn't there, the tax revenue generated would, in my opinion, from what, I'm, what I understand, would be far greater from the growth of the market. So that's what we've been trying to push. This isn't theoretical either because you guys went through this a little bit with the Camaro program. Obviously, um, HSV, once it wrapped up, one of its programs was to right-hand drive convert the Camaros. And I think you went through some of this pain with the LCT that probably hit that program a little bit in terms of popularity, trying to meet Mustangs, price point, et cetera, et cetera. By the time you went to ZL1 and, like you say, converted them, added the cost to the program, it just blew out and made the car essentially, didn't get it to the price point you wanted it, I assume. Yeah, correct. And, and that's exactly right. So we actually got double whammy because we invested the best part of $15 million into that program. And, um, you know, we knew that we could sell, you know, about a thousand of those Camaros a year, uh, with about 125 people working on that production line. But then uh, the Victorian government, in their wisdom, decided that uh, literally four weeks after we launched, you know, all that investment for two years worth of work, all the business models based around that program and that volume, uh, the Victorian government came out with a super luxury car tax which hit us and gave us a double whammy as well. And so our predicted volumes and our first volumes of the first month were, were fantastic. And then Victorian volumes off of the back of that additional luxury car tax, um, you know, almost killed ourselves uh, in totality in Victoria. So we, we, we've seen firsthand how price sensitive this market is. Can you work collaboratively with some of your rivals perhaps? And can you talk to government? Are they listening? What's happening there? Uh, just off the back of the interview from, from Scott and a couple of other people actually have had... Uh, probably six or seven phone calls from other people in the in the industry, including two of my competitors, asking what they can do to help because they see the same issue, right? And um, it's not just myself and the Prem cars of, of Australia that, that deal in this space as, as the bigger players. And there's smaller players that are impacted, but also our suppliers. So even big companies like Bosch, they make a lot of money out of the Australian automotive industry. So they're also incentivized to try and see what we can do to try and grow it. So I think it's an opportunity to get uh, a lot of the leading industry players together and come up with a plan on how we can, A, remind the federal government that we, that we do exist, that we are an important industry in Australia that employs tens of thousands of people, um, reminding them that you know, just because Holden Ford and Toyota no longer build cars here, um, there is still a, a thriving automotive industry and an industry that's actually growing. The, the industry looks different. It's not what we've been used to for such a long period of time. It's not the big, large-scale manufacturing that we saw in the past, but it's still valuable. It's still big. It still has a lot of opportunity to grow, and it still deserves to have recognition and investment um, from the Australian government because there's a lot of opportunity there if it's done the right way. 
couldn't agree with you more. I think government need to realise that there are some very good automotive success stories uh, in this country. It's just that they are different now and we need to remember that and support that. Hey, before we go, you've been great with your time here. Ironic that we are talking ahead of the Adelaide 500 season-ending race, as we said, of, of supercars, and it is really the final farewell for Holden and for Commodore in, in supercars. And I know you're off to a different brand uh, next year in the in the sport, but, you know, you've had a proud association with them for a long time, haven't you? Yeah, we have. It's uh, it's going to be a, a, a bit of a sad weekend for, for myself and my family. We've been um, we've been holding and tied to the hip with Holden and General Motors for uh, you know over thirty years. Uh, it's going to be an emotional weekend. Um, I think it's going to be a tough weekend for us to win because we know how strong Shane Van Gisbergen and Chipotle have been, but we're going to give it a real real hard crack. It would mean a lot to us if we could try and win the last ever race for Holden. I think it'd be quite poetic considering our time and our history with. GM Holden Australia for the guys that managed to lift the trophy for the last time with a car with the Holden badge on the grill. Um, and so that'll be our, our key focus. But no doubt a, uh, an emotional weekend for myself and, and all of our team. You know, we've lived, breathed and died Holden. And, um, you know, it's going to be sad that this is the last time we'll ever see a race around a racetrack. From all of us at the showroom, good luck with that. And as far as the LCT is concerned, vote one, Ryan Walkinshaw. Good luck in tackling government. Thank you, mate. Thank you very much. Cheers, guys. had a $2 million Lamborghini Countach, the world's most valuable Subaru, so they claimed anyway, a very rare 22B Impreza, an ultra-rare Mercedes. They've all piqued our interest in the marketplace segment here on the showroom since the podcast began. Today, something a little different, a Morgan three-wheeler with quite a story, quite a bit of history. And to tell us more about it, charged with helping sell the vehicle, from old-timer Australia in Queensland. Mark Jansen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Greg. Pleasure to be here. A 1929 Morgan Aero Supersports. In the beginning, they focused only on three-wheelers, didn't they? Look, the, uh, I guess the Morgan backstory is, is fascinating, and that's where the company started, I think, in about 1908. And, uh, yeah, the first cars that Morgan built were, were three-wheelers, and uh, they developed a real following period, um, I guess predominantly around cost, but then I think people realised that the cars could actually be raced and uh, there's some wonderful stories and, and so on about these early Morgan three-wheelers being raced and at times, you know, they'd travel up to about 100 mile an hour, which is just mind-boggling given what the car is. I mean, that's worth expanding on because what we're talking two-cylinder, one-litre engine and it's only got 33,000 Ks, is that right? Uh, look, I mean, the mileage... I guess, who knows, that's where it is. But, yeah, they, these cars typically were powered by these V-twin engines, I guess, light, high performance, and the cars themselves weighed nothing. So uh, it was was quite a thing back in the day. And uh, when you sit in the car, there's not much around you. It's akin to being, I guess, on a on a motorbike but sitting on the ground. So to race them at 100 mile an hour would be an incredible experience. Mark, this car's got an incredible history. How did old-time Australia come to find it and then discover the very uh, very lengthy tale it's got to tell? Oh, look, you just wish these cars could talk, honestly. Um, so this particular car found its way to Malaya um, and we're not sure whether it was delivered to the UK and subsequently found its way there or was actually sold new there, but uh, its early history dates back to um, about 1941 and 
it, it's understood that what happened is during the war that the car was actually disassembled, wrapped, and then buried to protect it, I guess, being confiscated or destroyed. Amazing. And that's where it remained until after the war. Then it got exhumed and put back together. So um, quite an incredible story. It's got a unique uh, gear system in it too. There's no reverse, for example. Have you driven it, Mark? <laughs> yeah, I mean, very unique car to drive. So they don't have what you might call a traditional gearbox. They have like a dog box essentially and it's it's got two speeds, what, first and second. Uh, with no reverse gear. So it does take a bit of getting used to, but, you know, the controls of the car, you you use a hand throttle on the steering wheel to to control it. It's got a traditional clutch, I suppose, and a brake, but uh, that's how you drive the car and it does take a bit of getting used to, there's no doubt. Have you had some interest and what sort of range might we expect this to go for? Look, we have had some interest. It's a fairly narrow market car. Look, I would expect it would sell 50-something you know, the car, I guess, as having been rebodied, will turn a purist off, but uh, it's still a really unique car and, 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 and quite a fabulous and rare thing in this country. We can understand why you're the, the custodian of the sale of this vehicle. You can find out more by going to the car sales website, carsales.com.au, and check out this 1929 Morgan Aero, something very special. Mark Jansen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and chatting with us today. My pleasure, Greg. Thanks very much for having me. That is just about it for this edition of The Showroom. Christmas is around the corner. What have the Newman family got planned? Come on. We will be uh, enjoying, hopefully, some sunny weather. And then we'll be heading up to our rural Vic to spend some time with some my wife's family. So we'll be loading everything that goes with with a child and a dog into a... <laughs> Changes into... your world, mate, doesn't it? Changes oh, my your God, world. Absolutely. You think you're busy before. Um We'll be loading everything into uh, into into the car and hitting the uh, hitting the Aussie highways in time honoured tradition. What about you, Rusty? Yeah, very similar uh, sort of thing. Christmas at home, but then hitting the road to uh, the brother-in-law's um, holiday home by the lake. So a little bit of downtime, um, but won't be far from your airwaves for very long, or far from your podcast options from all of us here at Listener and, of course, from the car sales team who we work very closely with. Have a safe and fun festive season. We're looking forward to bringing you the very latest from the showroom in the new year. On behalf of Scott and all the team, drive safely, everyone. Bye for now. A Listener Production.